And so the Discovery Bible study process, I don't just hand the Bible and say, read this and, and you'll get it. Okay. Mm-hmm. What I do is I say, I'm going to take you through knowing who God is. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the initial, the initial discovery process, whether it's 26 weeks or, or 12 weeks or eight weeks, it's all about who is God, what are his attributes and why should we be concerned about a relationship with him? Those are the kind of things that we're working through. Now, those, those are the background questions that people don't see in the meeting. Welcome to the CDM Podcast, a production of Contagious Disciple Making. We exist to catalyze movement through coaching, community, and communication. We created this podcast to help everyday Christians become world-changing disciple makers. Hello and welcome to the CDM Podcast. I'm Rebecca Ewing and I'm here with David Watson. Um, And we are so excited to be able to do our next installment in talking about the beginning of movement, the stories from there, and also the beginning of of movement principles. And last time we talked about in our podcast, Discovering the Discovery Bible Study, it's the beginning of the, uh, I was talking with David about the very beginning of Discovery Bible Study over there in India and what it looked like and how it was developed over time. And we came to the point to where we were uh, just getting that point, David, where we were talking about right, right into where you're starting to actually make them into the meeting questions. So how did those meeting questions uh, surface? Like, uh, how, did you, how did you settle on those, uh, at least your initial set of questions? Actually, the, the initial set of questions have been pretty stable since 1991 when we, we started trying to discover a way, personally discover a way to study the Bible and a way to get people to study the Bible and to become obedient followers Mm-hmm. of the Bible, but particularly obedient followers of making disciples. So our mm-hmm. goal has always been disciples who make disciples, not converts. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. For us, convert is a, is a dirty word. Uh, we, don't, <laughs> we, just, we just don't use convert at all. And if you look in the Bible, Jesus said uh, to the Sadducees and Pharisees, you go over land and sea to make a single convert. When they become a convert, they become twice the son of hell as you are. Mm-hmm. And that's, right. uh, that's part of what we have to recognize is that every culture adds to the gospel, mm-hmm. every culture, because it's being interpreted through cultural eyes. Mm-hmm. So when we come in and, and we're teaching, we're going to add our culture into it. Right. Just, there's just no way to avoid that because the style we learn, the style we teach, how we speak, the things that we do are all wrapped into our own cultures. Mm-hmm. So a big part of the, the discussion as we were developing this was how do we deculturalize this mm-hmm. so that no one identifies it as coming from an American or coming from an Asian or coming from whatever the background might be, but say this is really straightforward, open-ended questions that can be asked in any culture at any time and see the responses that we were, we were hoping to see. So the, the, core, the core part of the discovery Bible study itself was uh, here's the scripture, write it down or, or, or talk to if it's oral culture, memorize it basically as you talk through it. Then how would you explain this scripture in your own words to another person? And that was about 
understanding. Do you understand this well enough to turn around and explain it to another person? Mm-hmm. And then the third part, if this is from God, what are you going to do to obey it? Mm-hmm. How are you going to obey this? And we didn't shy away from the obedience word. And, and that's probably the number one thing that gets eliminated as we go to different cultures. They don't want to say, how will you obey this? Mm-hmm. They would say something like, well, what does this mean to you? Um, <laughs> type of thing. So it really gets, that's one of, that's the number one problem we dealt with early on was people didn't like this third word. They said, well, you know, you're, you're asking lost people, how would they obey something? I said, God never had any trouble asking lost people how they were going to obey stuff. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Never did. Right. And, and, you know, I, I feel like, it, it, you, as you were saying earlier, when it comes to the importance of these open-ended questions, as you're saying, it re- helps remove that cultural lens in that. But also it's supposed to help them be able to listen to the Holy Spirit for themselves. And if they're just sitting there and listening to somebody tell them what to believe and think like that, they're not having that opportunity to actually learn that for themselves. But we start out with, what are you thankful for? Mm -hmm. And the purpose of that question was from the very beginning, set up an expectation that you're going to, you're going to be thankful. And it's the precursor to prayer. Prayer is about thankfulness. Prayer is about aligning ourselves with God. Prayer is about recognizing that regardless of our circumstances, there are things that we can be thankful for. Right. In the most poverty-stricken, horrible places, we have people say, well, I'm thankful I found another plastic bottle today so I can have a way to carry my water. Mm -hmm. I mean, something like that. As simple as that. But it was thankfulness. Mm -hmm. And as they become followers of Christ, that thankfulness then turns... We're not just saying it to each other. We're, th- we're saying it to God. Right. It and, develops and, that little seed, though, at the beginning. Yeah. It, you, you, you put the expectation early in, so it's, it's ready to go there. And, and then you, the next question is, is uh, what are the needs that we have in this group mm. that we need to help each other with? Mm-hmm. And that takes you to the place of realizing that ministry needs to be happening. Care needs to be happening inside the group. Mm. And then you go, well, what are the needs of the people that are outside this group? Mm-hmm. That where we live and where we work and, and how do those look? And, and again, the expectation is that we come to a place of understanding of ministry. Uh, so needs sometimes can be emotional. What's stressing you out? Mm-hmm. I mean, we found different ways to ask that question Yeah, because people say needs. Well, well, I don't need anything. I said, okay, what's stressing you out? What are you struggling with? Mm-hmm. So there there's, it's the, the thing there is the, the need is not just a physical need, right? It can be a spiritual need or emotional, emotional need, need or, social need. Mm-hmm. So exactly. So, so that second question is to build an understanding that we live in community Mm-hmm. And that community is going to be facing problems of some kind all the time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how small the group is. If it's three people, there's going to be social structure. Mm-hmm. And there's going, to be, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be lots of things going on in the process with all of that. And we have to keep thinking through how do we get people to not fake good? Right. How do, how do we also help people have know how to live in the community, not just hang out with each other. Yeah, and that, that's, a, that's a big issue because uh, 
if I were to say the, the single largest problem with the Western church is we fake good. Mm-hmm. How are you? I'm okay. Come to a group meeting. How are you doing? We're doing great. And, and, and for, for you know, 52 weeks a year, you hear that same response every time. You know it can't be true. Right. Even nothing else, statistically, <laughs> we all I mean, know it's not true. <laughs> it's just not true. It's a, it's a social answer, n- not a personal answer. Well, because it's a it's a polite, like you said, it's a social, it's a polite kind of thing to ask because we're not really intending upon meeting everybody's needs. We're just, it's more of an opener to a conversation. Even when I go to my doctor, he says, how are you doing? I say, is that a social question or a medical question? <laughs> he, he stops, he says, well, it starts out social, we'll get to the medical. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm doing fine. (laughs) (laughs) But that's why I'm here at DACA's because I'm just fine. Um, My my leg is falling off, but I'm I'm, I'm glad to be here. (laughs) But hey, isn't that a little bit what, you know, when it comes to the church, it's like, how are you doing? Oh, well, if I were 100% fine, would I be here in church (laughs) or would I be trying to, to connect with people? No, I'm here to to, to hopefully uh, connect in a real way that helps me meet some of my needs. And but but here, here's the interesting thing. If everyone's okay, mm-hmm. there is no way to connect. Right. We're, we're, no needs to connect. Of, we're creatures that, ha- that are designed to need each other. So that, that took us to the third question when we would ask, okay, so we have these needs mm-hmm. or stresses or whatever. How can we as a group meet those needs? Mm, right. How can we help this person? How can we help this community? We can. And so, for example, we had a, a meeting in a very, very poor part of the world. Uh, it was, this particular meeting was in Africa. And we were talking to a lady in the group. Her, her children were being kicked out of the school because she hadn't been able to pay their fees. Mm. And, and private. I mean, that's the only way you get an education in most of the world. You pay for it. You don't, there's no such thing as public school. Right, right. You pay for it in most of the world. She didn't have the money to pay for it. And we're sitting there with a group of people that are all, you know, average annual income may be on the order of $100 per capita mm. in this particular community we were in. So coming up with school fees that were about $100 a year was astronomical. To yeah. them because that was everything they made so that left no thing for food or food, entertain, or anything like else that, yeah. so we're, we're three people in the group and uh, besides besides me and one of the one of the guys said well i don't i don't have any money and the other guy says i don't have any money and the other guy says i don't have any money and and uh, and i'm saying and i just asked the question well who do you know that has money exactly mm-hmm. and one guy finally says well, I got an. I have an uncle who actually helps people go to school in his village. Mm-hmm. Said, "Why don't you talk to him?" Well, he he went and talked to his uncle, and the uncle said, "Sure." And he not That's only good. paid he not only paid for their schooling, he bought them new clothes and new shoes in order to go to school. And it was an amazing thing. And and this guy says, "My uncle never does stuff like this outside of his village." I said, "No one's ever asked him before, have they?" Yeah. Well, see what you did right there, uh, David, and this is the whole point of this, is that you're helping people to take ownership of the problems that they have and to be creative and to come up with solutions and not just say, oh, well, I can't do anything about it. 
Well, and, and here's the other thing that you need to understand. I could have taken $100 out of my wallet and laid it on the table. Mm. But if I had done that, I would have stopped the process of becoming self-sufficient in caregiving mm-hmm. and meeting the needs of people and social structures. I would have interfered with all of that right. if I had put my money on the table. They wouldn't have had the blessing of and the lesson of having to start taking care of each other. There's actually a book specially written on that. It's called When Helping Hurts. You probably have heard of it. That goes into the same thing where it's like a lot of times by us coming in as the outsiders and taking care of a problem instead of actually helping people in the area meet their own needs, it short circuits what God is trying to do in helping those people become more like him and more self-sufficient in that way. And, And more importantly, we're helping to the problem we perceive, not to the problem they have if we're the outsider. Mm hmm. So we, we can meet perceived needs. That means our perception of their needs and totally miss what the real needs are. That's, yes. that's one of the reasons anytime you're dealing cross-culturally, you have to have a local committee helping you understand what's going on mm-hmm. so that you don't cause a problem by what you do or you don't, you don't meet the real problem and, mm-hmm. and you, you give something that they needed this, but you handed them this. They're going, what do I do with this? You know, I don't need this. Those are, those are all the challenges of working cross-culturally. Uh, so as, is there some way we can help us? Good. That's, that's, that's the part of it. In the discovery meeting, there is an expectation that everything we do, you will share with another person before you come back to the meeting. Mm-hmm. So the last thing in the meeting we ask before they leave, who are you going to share what you learned with today? What you learned today? And, and, that's an expectation. We set an expectation. They're going to share, share and they go, and notice I didn't ask, are you going to share? I asked, who are you going to share it with? Mm-hmm. Right. Because you say, are you going to share? That's an open-ended this is, question. Yeah, this, can, is, this is not a yes. This is, there's no option to say no. <laughs> yeah, this, this is not, a, it's not an open-ended question at this point. It is, who are you going to share this with? Mm-hmm. And we write down the names they give. Mm-hmm. Right. And then when it comes back, after you've gone through the, 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 the time of thankfulness, the time of problems or stresses or whatever that would be, the time, then, then how are we going to meet each other's needs and what are the needs of our community that we also need to be thinking about and praying about? And then you ask this question, how did it go sharing with, and you fill in the blank for the name they said they were going to share it with. Mm-hmm. And at first they're kind of dumbfounded that you actually asked an accountability question. They're not expecting an accountability what? question. Do you, do, I mean, there was a test as a part of this. No. <laughs> it really, it really, it really is a test, but it's also people do what the social group wants them to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the discovery Bible study group becomes a social group. And so when you set the expectations from the very beginning, we're going to, sh- this group is not simply a closed group. This group is about taking what we've learned to other people. And mm-hmm. we've done this in the most highly restricted places where Christians get killed if they're, re- if they're revealed. And I think that's so important, David, to realize, because I know there's several people I'm coaching that they, they ask me directly, is it, well, what, what if they go out and share the story and something terrible happens and stuff? We have to realize that we have to make that shift from just private belief 
into sharing and it gives that seed of evangelism. God hasn't given anybody an option to just sit out, uh, you know, sit on the sidelines of sharing him with other people. And, and that's the primary purpose behind this. Who did you share it with? Who are you going to share it with? Who did you share it with? Mm-hmm. That is establishing evangelism. Mm-hmm. Because yes. you're sharing the scripture. You're mm-hmm. sharing the Bible study with them. Yes. And they're going to share it the same way that you shared it with them. Mm-hmm. So it's important how what happens in the meeting, because that's what gets shared. <laughs> exactly. The way you do it in the meeting is, is so they're, they're having a social conversation. How's it going with you? I mean, that's a casual question. How's mm-hmm. it going with you? And, and then, you, then you move to a more serious conversation. Well, last time we talked, you said that your mother was sick. How's she doing? Mm-hmm. Now you're going to a serious conversation. Then you can move on and say, you know, I discovered something really interesting this week about God. And at that point, I teach people, don't say anything. Because if people don't ask you to share about God, you intrude when you share about God. Mm. But the moment they give you permission by asking, what did you learn? Now you have an invitation to share everything you've learned up until that point. And this works great if you're sitting around the water cooler at work, which we don't do now with COVID, but, uh, you know, the, <laughs> just, to, just to sit there and say, you know, I learned something really interesting this week when I was studying the Bible. I learned really something interesting about God. Just a question to just kind of, okay. And you just th- it's a throw-out question. And if the bait's taken they give you permission to share what you've just learned. Mm -hmm. And that's an important thing to understand is that oftentimes we use the wrong form of evangelism by jumping in and wanting to share how to become a Christian or how to, how to follow Christ or how to get saved or how to solve all your problems between now and then. And, and we, we jump so far ahead of where people are that they have no way to get to where we jump to. Right, And we wonder why our evangelism is, you know, one in 200 people coming to Christ out of, out of the people we share with, because we started in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. We come back and say, I've learned something interesting about God. And the person says, what have you learned? Well, we were learning today, that, you know, God created every single thing. I mean, starting at the very beginning, so we learned that God created everything and that even my donkey belongs to God or my car belongs to God. And I should be using it for God's, God's service or I should be using my house for God's service. And you start, you start building these understandings and it's not about them. It's about you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and then as it's it becomes a sharing about, place. It's not a dictating place. This exactly. Is you. You're not saying you should do this. You're saying this is what God is showing me. Right. And and they get intrigued by, hey, you're you're hearing that from God. You're seeing that from God. You're mm-hmm. and not only that, if they're longtime friends, you're gonna see the transformation start to happen. Right. Because when we'll get to that point, because your actions are changing too. <laughs> this is again one of the things that are very different and usually how we perceive evangelism, even discipleship nowadays, it's more about preaching than it is directly expecting people to change because of that. And if we do, it's usually is just a mental state instead of how it actually plays out in our actions. And and once we get to this point, we're now ready to to launch back into the discovery Bible study that we've Mm -hmm. talked about before, where you 
it's uh, write the scripture or memorize the scripture. Uh, how would you explain the scripture to other people? If this is from God, what are you going to do about it? I mean, mm-hmm. how are you going to obey it? And, and so all of this leads up. See, we're establishing the accountability for the, mm-hmm. the Bible study. Then we move into the Bible study again, and we're adding two. And, mm-hmm. and that's the point. That is the initial evangelistic discovery Bible study is about knowing God. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at the attributes of God through that Bible study mm-hmm. and helping people to say, oh, this is the creator. This is the, this is the one who's always wanted to walk with man and talk with man. This is the one who's always wanted to be in relationship with us, but we chose to move away from him in our sin and our, in our, in our cultural aspect of understanding who God is, whatever it might be. And we're trying to bring all that back to focus on the relationship with God. Exactly. Hence the question, what does this say about God and not just what does his story talk yeah. about? <laughs> what does this tell us about man? What does this tell us about God? Mm-hmm. And that's Focuses on, on, on our, the relationship. The relationship. Factor. And that's the reason we ask those two questions is what does this tell us about man? What does this tell us about God? Mm-hmm. And, and again, that's, that's to build into the expectation that our meetings, when we come together in church or in the discovery group, when we come together, the meeting is about us and God. Mm-hmm. It's about our relationship, what he wants us to do, how he wants us to respond. It's our relationship. And as we obey, that, that same us and God takes us to us and other people, mm-hmm. whether it's inside well. our family, inside our community, inside or any other person around the planet. How do we react to, how do we work with, how do we deal with people that are in other situations and other norms. So all of this is intentional. Every one of these questions was, was intentional. And, and so when we start looking through all of this and we, and, and it boiled it all down, it, 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 it boiled it all down to an understanding that there is a core value system here mm-hmm. that, that, it's a very simple core value. You could even say, you know, there's a, there's 10 or 11 core values we're looking at as far as the group relationships to each other, relationship to community, relationship to God, understanding about sharing, understanding about caring, understanding about meeting needs, understanding about not being shy about sharing our own personal needs, whether they're emotional or spiritual or physical, whatever they might be. And this is all bound into a meeting that can take less than an hour. Mm-hmm. No, depending the bigger, on the size of your group. <laughs> exactly. Every every new member adds 10 minutes to the meeting. Yeah, there so, you go. <laughs> so, so when people say, we want 30 people in the group, I said, okay, that's 300 minutes. Is that really what you want to do? Yeah. Is, are you sure about that? <laughs> <laughs> so, and in some so, cultures, that wouldn't be a problem. In America, they'd be like, oh. Uh. <laughs> oh, I've actually, I've actually in, in the U.S. setting, I've done some 30 30 people groups, but you have to be willing to go long. <laughs> and that's it. it. They're, they're, you know, they're three and four hour meetings. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, and they I, think, I'm okay with that, but you know, some people aren't. <laughs> well, 
the interesting part, usually when it hits that way, you're in a camp setting or, you know, a retreat mm-hmm. setting and people are, are engaged to, to think about, okay, we're going to focus on the Bible. For They're already setting that. aside bunches of time in order to be there. They're not rushing off to the next thing and throwing a Bible meeting in there. <laughs> but that's, that's that. a problem. If we teach with 30 people, that gives them a false understanding of what the discovery group's about. If it's five people, it's a 50-minute meeting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's now just, that's replicatable in our culture. Exactly. <laughs> that that's exactly right. It is replicable. So as we as we look at that, we we need to understand that the cultural norms can dictate the length of a meeting, which dictates how many people you can have in the meeting. Right. So going back to the uh, the questions, uh, the core questions. So we talked about uh, the retelling, which is reading the passage and being able to retell the passage, uh, discovering what does this passage say about God? What does this passage say about about man? We started talking about the obedience question with the follow-up part. But when we're sitting down, we're actually asking it for the first time for the passage. A lot of times that's the, that's the crucial moment, right? How does it, what we're seeing right here affect how we live in our lives? And you wait for the answer. You cannot give people that answer. Because mm-hmm. this is the point. that my, my, One of my core beliefs is that the Holy Spirit inhabits His Word, the Word mm-hmm. of God. And that when we're using the Word of God, we're reading the Word of God, we're studying the Word of God, we're speaking the Word of God, the Holy Spirit is involved at that moment. Mm-hmm. And that's true with lost people. It's true with saved people. If you get lost people engaged with the Word of God, the Holy Spirit's going to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and so as we as we sit there and say, okay, how are you going to obey this? How are you going to change your life as a result of this passage? Mm-hmm. You're establishing an expectation of change. Now, understand, in our process, lost people are leading the group. Mm-hmm. And we're coaching the lost people, lost leader, we call a facilitator, what to ask and what to say. And then we debrief them after the meeting and say, did you ask this question? Did you ask the question, mm-hmm. how are you going to obey this? Yeah. And they go, well, you know, I was kind of scared of asking that question. I said, oh, you don't need to be scared. What are they going to say? No. <laughs> I mean, that's the worst they're going to say to you. They're not going to beat you up or anything or ask you how are you going to obey this. Mm-hmm. Just ask the question and see what happens. And sometimes it takes us two or three meetings for they'll get comfortable enough to go ahead and ask that question. How are we going to? obey this how what are we going to do about this question Mm -hmm. if it's from god and then the discussion becomes well if it's from god then here's the logical outcome of this being from god what we have to do Mm -hmm. but we don't believe it's from god that's okay but if it were god so we're not arguing the existence of god we don't do that Mm -hmm. we don't we don't try to argue them into an understanding of the word that we understand we just keep asking the questions Right. Asking You're asking people and saying, look, if it if you did believe it was true, how would it change your life? So we're in, in literary terms, they would call that suspension of disbelief. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, let's just play this game right now. <laughs> Imagine if you're in this world that you did really believe all this. <laughs> but but the interesting part about the Bible is almost every culture has a respect for the Bible, regardless mm-hmm. of their religion. Mm-hmm. And the respect though gets challenged when they start saying, 
you will not commit adultery. You, mm. If you think with lust, you're committing adultery. I mean, you start getting down to the to the things that, in my Bible, all of those things are in red. I mean, I underline all of those things that God says, I want you to do this. It's amazing how much red there is in my Bible. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of it there. Uh, I've identified 150 separate commands from God as I've, as I've read, read the Bible. They get repeated quite often through the Bible. Right. But the but the the issue that you deal with is is that when you're dealing with lost people and you have a facilitator who's a lost person, so he's not an expert or she's not an expert on what to say about the Bible. So at that point, they're asking simple questions that lead them to discuss the Bible that open the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to begin to work in that group's life. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's the belief system. See. John 6 tells me that I can't draw people to God. Mm-hmm. That's the Father's job. And to be clear, guys, that's John 6, 44 to 46. He's 40, talking. yeah. Or 48. <laughs> yeah, 44 to 46 will get it. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> the, but, but, the, but the point is that it starts out, you said, you know, the Father draws people to me. Yes. Mm-hmm. And said, so, okay, so my job's not to draw people to God. That's not my job. That's God's job. Right. And, and when we start recognizing. In the process. <laughs> no, we're actually, we're not assisting in the process of drawing. We're, we're, well, not the we're, drawing part, yes. That's what I'm saying. That, that it, what we're doing, we're assisting in the part of everyone who listens and learns from God will come to Christ. We're assisting. My job is to get people to listen and learn from God. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the Discovery Bible Study process I don't just hand the Bible and say, read this and, and you'll get it. Okay. Mm-hmm. What I do is I say, I'm going to take you through knowing who God is. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the initial, the initial discovery process, whether it's 26 weeks or, or 12 weeks or eight weeks, it's all about who is God, what are his attributes and why should we be concerned about a relationship with him? Those are the kind of things that we're working through. Now, those, those are the background questions that people don't see in the meeting. Mm-hmm. So, but, but every one of these questions are leading to the place of listening and learning from God. And, and it says, everyone, this is the thing about the Bible that's so amazing. And this is Jesus's word. This is not one of the disciples. Jesus said, everyone who listens and learns from my father will come to me. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a superlative. Jesus didn't use superlatives that much. Mm-hmm. But this was a superlative. Everyone who listens and learns from God will come to me. Mm-hmm. So when we're in church and we think friends in church are not are not Christians, they're, you know, they're just Christian in name only, then we have to ask the question, why aren't they listening and learning from God when they come to church? Mm-hmm. Why aren't they listening and learning God if they're doing, I mean, if, if you just get people to do a, you know, the 10 minute a day annual, you read the Bible in a year. I mean, basically 10 to 15 minutes a day, you can read the Bible in a year. There's lots of apps that show that and do that. Right. You, you get out there and you, you, you get people into the word. And at some point, something said in the Bible is going to meet exactly the, the issue they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Even even now, I, you know, I don't know how many times I read the Bible, but, but in my daily, it's amazing how many times in my daily devotional reading, I will I will hit a verse that either addresses an issue I'm dealing with, 
Or as I walk in the day, the people that I'm working with will come to a place and say, ask me a question. I go, oh, yeah, I just, I just read about that this morning. Exactly. So the Bible, God can use the Bible to meet the specific needs of the person. And if I'm sitting there and I'm trying to teach a person directly, like tell them what they're supposed to do in response to the passage, first off, I'm robbing them of being able to, to, to find that out for themselves and have that skill to be able to do that without me being in the room. But then two, there could be things that I didn't even think of that they really need that God knows that they need. And so he can be able to speak to them directly about that. So that's what this, this whole process, as you say, are, is working on. And that last question, you know, who do I share this with? Is now also to say that this is not something private for me to hide away with myself. Everything that I learn from God, I'm supposed to be sharing with other people. Yeah. And, and setting up the environment where those questions can be talked about without embarrassment, mm-hmm. without expectation of ridicule. Mm. I would have to say that is very interesting with our current culture, because when we think of accountability questions, you know, um, everybody automatically it says that means we're going to be here to be judgmental and harsh and ridicule each other for not actually doing this, that they're not understanding that accountability doesn't automatically mean those things. Yeah. uh, Accountability, most of all, is an expectation of obedience Mm -hmm. or an expectation of a behavior that lines up with culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, accountability is, is first and foremost an expectation. Now the question is, is that expectation legalistic or is it out of love? Mm Mm-hmm. So if the same questions asked from a legalistic perspective can be very harsh and very off-putting. Mm-hmm. But, when we're left, but when they're asked, with, hey, I'm, I love you and I'm concerned about you, mm-hmm. that changes how that, how that question is perceived and how it's, how it's acted on. People push back against legalism, mm-hmm. period. Everybody pushes back because legalism is external rules against my own core values. Well, I mean, even just what you just said right there, that really gets taken care of outside of the the Discovery Bible study because they're the ones that are observing from the Bible what they should change. So if I'm not externally telling them this is what they need to do as a response to this passage and they're seeing it for themselves, does that almost automatically take it out of legalism? Exactly. Uh, that's the difference between legalism and obedience. Obedience is inwardly motivated. Legalism is externally motivated. Mm, mm -hmm. So it can be motivated. I want to belong to this group. So I'm going to change my behavior. That that's still legalism. Even if that group isn't pushing it on you, you're changing your behavior based on a desire to belong to a group. And so to fit into that group, you, you, you adopt their rules and practices. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that is the silent legalism that so many people fall into because they're not. And, and that's why that when of a person maybe they start a discovery process, you know, be a part of a discovery meeting, and they're not, you know, they're not coming through their commitments, they're not sharing the stories, they're not doing the actions in response. It is again loving to say, look, we're not here to legalistically 
and press upon you something you don't want to do. So, you know, we, maybe you're just this, this whole um, meeting is just not for you right now. <laughs> people, people exit groups with as long as if you're not putting pressure and you're just, just saying, this is, this is what we're here to discuss. And some of it may be uncomfortable, but uh, if you're uncomfortable, that's okay. You know, don't worry about it. We're not, we're not trying to make, but again, if you have lost leading or facilitating the discussion, mm-hmm. you have a lot less pressures being put on than when you have a Christian leading the same discussion with lost people. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things we learned is that regardless of how good we are at this, mm-hmm. the fact that we are culturally separated, and that's the thing you need to recognize, a Christian, a mature Christian is culturally separated from the culture they were born in. Mm-hmm. Because they think they don't think even like their culture because of Christ and his word. That's exactly the, the issue. So I, I, I tell people all the time, if we are growing, maturing Christians, we are cross-cultural with the, crust, the culture we were born in. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's interesting. People say, well, you know, the U.S. has a Christian culture, of course. I said, okay, so what's the one word you can use about all Americans and you're comfortable using? So they're a bunch of liars. Oh, that sounds like kingdom culture. And you said, okay, so do you identify lying with, with Christianity? Oh, I really hope they, they wouldn't. <laughs> no, no, the answer is no. Yeah, good, because sometimes I wonder. <laughs> so, but, but the fact is that outside of America, Americans are seen as liars. Mm-hmm. And so if we're sitting there and we're leading these groups as Americans, that, that's a barrier. We're a liar. So everything we say is a lie. So why should I listen to anything you're saying? Mm-hmm. So part of the discovery process was about, we don't want them to discover us. Right. We want them we to want discover, them discover God. God. Right. And, and then Get in a us relationship with way. us, with <laughs> a, and then over the years as we have a relationship together, they discover that their perception of Americans is not the same as the perception of me mm-hmm. or the perception of the group or the team that I have established. Right. And, and those, are, those are things that I talk about. When I'm building a team, I talk about, I said, look, people perceive us this way. We have to demonstrate we're not this way. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to the CDM podcast. To hear part two, become a supporter on our Patreon page. You can find the link in the description. For coaching or other resources, connect with us at contagiousdisciplemaking.com.